0: You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about the return of Doctor Mysterio, so you don't have to.
1: I'm Matt. And I'm JR. Are you going to just use that voice every time you use the title? That was my Peter Capaldi impressionation. <laughs> okay, okay, no. Was it not very successful? I'm, well, am putting an Australian accent onto it. I'm not quite sure it worked.
0: Well, <coughs> alright, let's dive straight in. Okay. I've no idea what you thought. I'm assuming you read my review. I did. Di- I did, yeah.
1: yeah I did. So yeah, you I kind read. of yeah. know what I thought. Yeah, well, I, I, well, I almost but, wouldn't, I almost didn't read your review because... I wanted to find out what you thought here, but then I couldn't resist reading your review. (laughs) I'm sure you'll find out plenty more about
0: what I thought. Right. But uh, I don't know what you thought, so just simply, did you enjoy
1: it? I enjoyed it less than you did, uh, judging by your review. Um, But I, I appreciated bits of it. I think I've always got a problem with the Christmas specials. I've never been a fan of the Christmas specials, and I think it's... Partly to do with the environment I'm watching them in. Partly to do with there's been so many of them. I think they've stopped feeling special now. I started taking them for granted.
0: Well, actually, going on something that we were talking about when we were doing those two episodes about the specials just before Mm. Christmas. Yeah. This was the first Christmas special, unless I'm remembering it wrong, because we've each watched it just once, haven't we? Yes. Right, unless I'm remembering wrong, this was the first special that wasn't set at Christmas. It was set at Christmas, wasn't it? No, they only, didn't the, mention... only the pre-titles oh, okay, okay, were set at right. Christmas. There was a Christmas tree. Mm. <clears throat> it was Christmas night, I think, when he visited the young lad. Yes. But then the stuff set in New York as an adult.
1: Okay. Unless yes.
0: I'm remembering wrong. You're probably I, right. You're yeah, probably I don't right. think it was set at Christmas. But it was
1: shown at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. still a Christmas special.
0: But what I mean is, <clears throat> and this might come up several times, Stephen Moffat, has a way of sort of sneaking things in sometimes. Mm. And he'll often sneak things in as fan service without the fans really being aware that he's done it. Yeah. But there have been so many people saying, why do the Christmas specials always have to be set at Christmas? So on this one, he bungs in a three minute scene or five minute scene or whatever it is at the start that's set at Christmas Mm. to appease the BBC who wanted to be set at Christmas Mm. and then has the rest of it set at some indeterminate time of year so that he can get away with it not being said at Christmas to please the fans who don't want it to be said at Christmas. Mm -hmm. But presumably all those people will just remember the Christmas tree at the start of the episode and think, Oh, it's set at Christmas. Yes. But I don't think it was.
1: No, no, you might be right. You might be right. But that didn't really affect the way I, I mean, I'm not, I've not been one of those fans that have wondered why everything's been set at Christmas during a Christmas special. Um, I just, I just think they've, they've stopped for me feeling special. I think it's since Day of the Doctor, which was Day of the really, Doctor really, felt no really, sure. really special, and I'd quite like to see every Christmas special feeling as special as that, well, which think, may mean fewer uh, Christmas specials. I think
0: maybe the problems in the word Christmas special, yeah, because really it's not as special; it's mm. just an episode that yes. happens to be broadcast on Christmas Day, yeah, and that's quarter of an hour longer. Mm. And uh, otherwise, it's really just an episode. And I
1: think they could get away... For me, they could get away with that. And I knew this was going to... Well, I suspected this was going to be an issue because they haven't had a series this year. That this is very much... This is in special territory because it's an isolated episode. So it's it's the one thing we had this year. What he did...
0: With Name of the Doctor, Day of the Doctor and Time of the Doctor. Yeah. Was come and tell a trilogy yeah. of stories that weren't really connected except thematically. Mm-hmm. And what he's done here is three episodes in a row mm. kind of add up to a thematic trilogy. Yes. Whereas the stories aren't really actually connected with each other. Yes. We'll come back to this. Yeah, I wasn't, I convi- I
1: wasn't convinced by uh, the thematic trilogy. No, this, I think it is. But, well, I, we'll, well, I think
0: it goes back to Coupling. And right. it goes back joking apart.
1: Yes. And okay.
0: I'll bring that up later. I think it's okay. something to get into at the I end. I mean the
1: things I did enjoy, so it's probably Well if I, I could be I could be positive about it. I think
0: Well you don't have to not be positive about it. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. I no.
1: I think um I was they didn't film it in New York and I was wondering how they were gonna get away with the New Yorkness of it. And, and I think it fe- it felt more New York than Eyes Wide Shut. Angels Angels Take Manhattan. In some ways, because they weren't throwing New York in your face. They were just it had the feeling well, I had of New York of without shops
0: where you saw the skyscrapers yeah. in the background yeah. and that was about it.
1: Yes, yeah. And so I quite liked the New York y bit, and I think setting it in New York obviously made sense for the type of story that it was. Um so that was that was good. And actually it felt Christmasy even if it wasn't set at Christmas because New York is a Christmassy city. Well that's why it's somebody-
0: Christmas films are set yeah, in New York. Exactly, exactly.
1: So that that was good. And I liked Matt Lucas. I right, are you doing really the
0: whole thing in one five minute shot No, I think start. it's
1: I thought it was easier to get the things I liked out of the way before tackling the bigger. Oh no, let's talk, let's
0: go let's not go through in order, but let's okay. go through lots of different things. Okay. Well the first the first thing that screams out at me is what I was expecting and I talked about this when we did do a short preview before Christmas, mm. what I was expecting was a sort of riposte to battlefield. Right. Because the Doctor Mysterio was evidently going to be the Doctor. Yes. And so there was evidently going to be some meeting between the Doctor and this guy when this guy was younger Mm. where the Doctor would get this Doctor Mysterio thing. Right. And what I was kind of expecting was the Doctor to turn up and this guy to say, Doctor Mysterio! And the Doctor to say, oh, where's that come from? And then later in the episode, there'd be some timey-wimey thing where he goes back in time. Right you know, like you didn't get in Battlefield, that would, but that would have explained how he came to be known as Merlin in yes. Battlefield. But instead, you got all that in the pre-titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and the great thing that I think Stephen Moffat achieved with that, was that when it came to the bulk of the episode, he didn't have to waste a lot of time on what would otherwise have been, a, not really a blind alley. Mm. But you know what? A Christmas Carol, was almost entirely based around the notion of the Doctor going backwards and forwards. Yeah. And each time he makes a trip backwards into time, that's somehow affecting the events in the present. Yeah. And so the return of Doctor Mysterio could have been like that. Yeah. Where the time travel aspect becomes a key part of the plot, Mm. but then it would have become quite complicated. Right, and I think what was really nice about it was that by getting rid of that at the start, he could get rid of that subplot altogether. Yeah, take the timey wimey aspect out of the story altogether, and then just have a really nice. Fairly slow story that yes. just unfolds
1: at a really sort of natural base. Well, for once it was told linear, linearly. Basically. Which means it Apart was. Apart from a couple of flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah. And the flashbacks. Cinematically, flashbacks are linear because they're flashbacks. Well, yeah. So it's not and a, they were illustrated yeah, yeah, things yeah. that are going on. So it was definitely the story was told from from the perspective of the, the, the ghost. I can't remember the character's name Grant. Grant. So it was told from his point of view. So, in a sense, it was his story with the doctor and Nardole flitting in and out, which I quite liked. I thought that worked, especially considering considering the source it was drawing on, which is the superhero <coughs> movie.
0: Well, really, well, I know this is going to be our bone of contention. Well, probably this is going to be our bone of contention. Mm. I thought that was. I thought all the superhero stuff was basically just icing.
1: I, th- I think it was the main driving narrative. That I know that <coughs> I can see that there are subtext behind it. But the the structure of the episode was a superhero structure. Well, it
0: was structured around Superman the movie, basically. Yeah. yeah. In essence. But what I mean is, actually, the meat of the story was the relationship between Grant and Charity Wakefield's character. Can't remember her name. Yes. Yeah. And the Doctor Who plot about the alien brain creatures Mm. Either of those things could have existed without the superhero element. I mean, she's got a nanny who she doesn't realise she's in love with, and the nanny's in love with her, but he yes. can't tell her. He didn't need to be a superhero for that story to work.
1: No, well, But no, but but, but <clears throat> a, a love story, a love story based around mistaken identities, is a kind of a superhero. Yes, that's plot. what I mean. I mean, it's, what I mean is, all it doesn't the, have to be. But it was, what
0: I mean is, all the plot elements could have worked without the superhero stuff. Yes. And so the superhero story, which Moffat uses to frame the episode, basically. Mm. That's yeah. the structure he has throughout the episode. But it's kind of to me, the the structure itself is a sort of superficial structure yeah. that he's hung his story on
1: rather than But that's kind of what superhero movies are in general, isn't it? They're they're quite simple stories of which the superhero bit is very rarely the central bit of the story. They're about... <clears throat> get, like, Spider-Man is about adolescence well, and a kid kids <clears throat> discovering But love. what this didn't have... And Superman, the Christopher Reeve one, is about is about a romance.
0: But what this didn't have, and what I would have supposed would be an essential element in a superhero's story, is that it didn't have an antagonist with supernatural powers that are the equal and mirror of the superhero's supernatural powers and that causes the conflict and causes the climax and the resolution no, it's, no, it no. didn't have that so it took the framework of a superhero story because you know what I'm. i'm always saying on this podcast is that the elements need to cohere yes and in order for the superhero story to have been something that was uh, necessary, rather than something that was just icing, as I called mm-hmm. it, it would have needed to have a superhero antagonist as well as a superhero protagonist.
1: I think I'd probably disagree that <laughs> that's an essential part of a superhero movie. I think the, I think the idea of change and a sudden, a sudden sort of split in someone's life towards two different identities. I think that's the key bit of a superhero movie, and that's the bit that's that's the, the sort of the the foundation of. Most superhero stories, Marvel or DC. <clears throat>
0: <clears throat> but what? But Grant's story here was really, in many ways, very similar to Kazran Zardik's in A Christmas Carol. Because mm. if you look at Kazran Zardik in A Christmas Carol, where we join the episode, he's bitter yeah. for a reason. And the Doctor, and although it's told in a different style, mm. in terms of whether it's linear or non-linear, but what happens is the Doctor goes back and says, this man mustn't be bitter, I must change that. Yeah, And the changes the Doctor makes turn out to be what has caused the man to be like that in the first place. Mm. Because, of course, there's a love story there, but what the Doctor doesn't realise is that it's a, a yeah. love story that's bound to be doomed, which is what causes Sardeg's bitterness. But what it does with Grant, mm. is, and although we see it in a linear fashion, essentially it's the same thing, the Doctor goes back to when he's a child and brings upon him the changes yeah. that causes Grant's predicament later on hmm. in the case of the mistaken identity aspect. And
1: again, that's not that's not at odds with the superhero style because quite often you have some sort of mentor or guru that that ushers through the superhero and trains the superhero and makes them see what so in Spider Man you have Uncle Ben, who's albeit briefly at the beginning, is the is the thing that makes Spider Man Spider Man. And in Superman, you've got Superman dead father who turns up and gives and gives sort of. I it's mean, it's, El Jor or something. Jor Um <laughs> Essentially, Peter Capaldi is Marlon Brando in this, except he's given more of an active role than just appearing in the Fortress of Solitude. Well, so, so actually, these things, these <clears throat> things, still are still tied in with. The superhero movie. Well, at the, the I
0: mean, end of this, though, one big difference is that the superhero gives up his superpowers in order to be with a girl.
1: Yes. Which is not what,
0: well, obviously, it's not what you generally get in a superhero well, story, because the superhero story has to carry on into the you, next issue of the comic or whatever.
1: On the comics, yes. In the films, I mean, that's, it happened in the Superman movies, the original Superman movies, albeit briefly. It happened in the Spider-Man movies as well. Oh Yeah,
0: but the significant so, difference here is that Stephen Moffat's using that story to mm-hmm. illustrate something about the Doctor so that at the end of the story, the superhero gives up his powers so that the Doctor, who's been away for a while but now he's back, mm-hmm. as he says in the episode, can re-engage with his own superpowers and go off and start righting wrongs again. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of a passing of the baton.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying there isn't Doctor Who... In it, I think our bone of contention is how much the superhero, the superheroness, feeds into this story. How much of an influence it is, and I think it was, I think it was a guiding influence. I think Stephen Moffat's yeah. taken key elements of lots of superhero movies. My my issue is he's taken key elements of superhero movies I don't really like from a long time ago, and has and has used those. So I'm not a huge fan of Christopher. For me, it's a bit like when you have a conversation about James Bond it wasn't
0: going to do the dark knight rises though. no
1: no i well i didn't think it, i didn't think he should do any superhero i always had a problem with the idea of a superhero movie influence for doctor who because Br- british television really nice. t- tends to be slightly behind america with it at the moment america is going great guns with superheroes on television with the with the um the, actually, things like uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones—they're—they're they're doing something quite creative with it. This but, is this is a more sort of nos- this is nostalgic, and it is nice, and it is doing what Russell T. Davis did with the Poseidon Adventure, which is obviously very appealing. But it's not for, for me. It's not something I feel nostalgic towards, and it's like thinking about James Bond and getting nostalgic for Roger Moore movies. I don't feel. I think Roger Moore movies are terrible. Sort of racist, sexist. I didn't like the humor in them, but people get very nostalgic towards them but because I did, they're a particular they're a particular type.
0: But that's why I don't think the superhero stuff here was. He wasn't trying to compete with those things, and that, and I Not that's co- why I don't think the superhero mm. stuff here was that important.
1: I didn't think he was trying to compete with those things, but they're so big at the moment. They're so they're so prominent. They're right in the middle of their project that he can't help but compared with them. If you well, bring a superhero onto the screen at the moment then you get tied up in what's happening. Him. Well I am. Well okay. In my head. But yeah. that, I'm, t- I'm explaining why I have a problem with putting superheroes. So um I watched, again, I was at my brother's house and watched it with my brother and he's halfway through watching Daredevil. So he watches Doctor Who one evening <coughs> and then watches Daredevil the next morning. And so he's automatically going to get that get that comparison. Yeah. And I think that's that's quite easy to do because at the moment on television, the superhero genre is doing things in America. But what I think really things.
0: happens here is that you sit down, having seen the poster and the trailer and whatever, and think mm. Doctor Who's going to do a superhero thing. Yeah. And about 10 or 15 minutes into the story, you forget the comparisons and you start concentrating on what's happening here mm. because something quite different is happening here. Yeah. So I think I think those comparisons... Become irrelevant mm. in a way. Yeah. I've not, you're the first person I've actually encountered who's made that comparison at all. Right. Um, because, well, get into it then. Because what he is doing is what he did in Hellbent and what he did in The Husbands of River Song and what he did in Coupling and what he did most significantly in Joking a Bar and even in Chalk to an extent. Mm. In that Stephen Moffat uses his own life examples as uh, the sort of meat in being able to tell stories about relationships. Yeah. And so, and this is true of Stephen Moffat throughout everything he's done, and he's even doing it in Sherlock now. He will use, because Stephen Moffat was married once, then went through a divorce, then went through a period where he was a single man and then met somebody else and fell in love with that person and ended up marrying that person to whom he's still married now. So having done that, been married twice, had a period of singledom, and been through a divorce, he's pretty much run the gamut of what you might expect to ever experience in terms of relationships in your adult life. Yeah. And almost from the start, that's what Stephen Moffat tells stories about. Chalky mm-hmm. wrote about being a teacher, because before he was a writer, he was a teacher. But Joking mm-hmm. Apart is the story of his divorce from his first wife. Yeah, Coupling is the story of how he met his second wife, mm-hmm. basically. And in Doctor Who, he's done the same thing. In Series 5, he told the story of how you get to have a married couple on the TARDIS. Yeah. And then for a couple of years, he told stories about having a married couple on the TARDIS. And all of this was inspired by the same things that he was writing about in Coupling and in Joking Apart, right. where he was writing about the divorce. And that's what he's done with these last three episodes here. He's He always does this. He always writes about divorce and about getting together with somebody.
1: Right. <clears throat>
0: and in Hellbent, he's essentially writing the story of a divorce yeah. between two people who don't want a divorce but who knows they can't live together. Mm -hmm. So they, I mean, the Doctor and Clara at the end of Hellbent essentially take the grown-up decision to split up because they know that it's for the better, That because together they can't cope with one another. Mm. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Terrible cold I've had for the last month. Okay, okay. But essentially at the end of Hellbent, Right, they make an adult decision to split up, even though they're still in love with one another, because they know it's an unhealthy relationship that can't continue. Yeah, and then in the husbands of Riversong, you kind of get a twofold aspect of that. One of which is the story of when you run into your old lover after a period of several years. Yeah, and the way he frames it mm-hmm. is that the old lover doesn't recognise you. Yeah. in other words, the doctor's regenerated. Riversong doesn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. <coughs> But at the end of that episode, what happens is they decide to spend one last night together. Yeah. I've had this cold for a couple of weeks. This cough, rather. I shall have to try and edit these out, but I doubt I'll get round to it.
1: It's fine. It's adding piquancy to your (laughs) your
0: argument. But the point is, if you're single and your ex-lover's single and you run into one another... Yeah. after several years, often you wouldn't spend one last night together because you're remembering the good times. Yes. But you also know that that will be the very last time it happens. Right. It's kind of... It's you know a fairly normal thing that people yeah. do.
1: So what does this but episode Stephen, add to it?
0: Well, and what I'm saying is what Stephen Moffat's doing is writing sci-fi stories that illustrate something about people's lives. Yes. And what... And where... <clears throat> and where The Return of Doctor Mysterio falls into that is, you have the divorce, yes. you have the period of singleness, mm-hmm. and then you find your new relationship. With Nardole. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> the point is, he sci-fies it up. I'm... But essentially, what you've got is Grant mm. and, oh, I can't remember her name, Charity yes. Wakefield's character, yes. are illustrating where the Doctor is in his yeah. life. So mm-hmm. at the end, when the baton passes from Grant to the Doctor, what you're essentially saying is the Doctor is re-engaging with who he is yes. by <clears throat> metaphorically finding a new relationship.
1: I think I have two issues. So <laughs> my first issue is it seems to me that this isn't necessarily just the Stephen Moffat thing. This is what Doctor's oh, no. done since he came <clears throat> back because Russell T. Davis, I mean, you have Doomsday was about that. And oh, yes, uh, but, School Reunion uh, was about So this is a this is something that's been happening since 2005. It's been about relationships oh, no, but, uh, and the different combinations. Donna leaving the Doctor.
0: But the point is, when Russell T Davis wrote it, he wrote the relationship aspect mm. literally yes. and separate from the sci-fi. Whereas what right. Stephen Moffat does is he writes the relationship aspect metaphorically through the sci-fi.
1: Well, but what's the difference between, say... Clara and the Doctor being forced to break up because of time. Because they're not... And Rose and the Doctor being forced to break up because they're separated by universes. Because Rose
0: and the Doctor are depicted as lovers, whereas Clara and the Doctor aren't.
1: Right. I mean, Rose and the Doctor are depicted as... I don't, I don't see the difference. They're, not They're depicted, depicted
0: as a couple, two people in love. Whether you actually think they sleep together or not is irrelevant, but they are depicted as two people who are in love with one another, whereas Clara and the Doctor are depicted as two people with an entirely platonic relationship, right. through which Stephen Moffat can illustrate something about people who have a physical relationship.
1: Okay. I don't see that as being particularly ground... Groundbreaking. I'm not saying it's was. groundbreaking. I mean, it's it's yeah. I can I can see how these things yeah develop. The other mm. issue I had with it is I can't see how the two characters' relationship in the Return of Doctor Mysterio. I still can't make the connection between that that kind of her suddenly realizing that she had the right guy all along. I can't make the connection between that and the Doctor because the Doctor isn't there yet. The Doctor and Nardal doesn't. Doesn't work with that. The doctor hasn't actually done it. It's not the doctor. It's, Nardole, it's the point. It seems to me that it's a similar thing to uh, the the Matt Smith doctor meeting um, James Corden, so well, well, and no, getting but... them getting them together. That wasn't a metaphor for the doctor. That was just quite sweet. That was the doctor, the doctor intervening in a, quite a small life and oh, no, changing no, no, it but... for the better. I don't. I don't think that. I mean, I, I... no, but this is a triangular thing,
0: right? When you watch. The superhero and the girl in The Return of Doctor Mysterio. Yeah. That's not illustrating something about where the Doctor is in the fiction. Mm. That's illustrating something about where the Doctor is in real life. We've just had a year without Doctor Who. Yes. (coughs) Where we've been watching other programs. Right. So the superhero thing is like oh, here's the other programmes we've been watching. Right. And at the end, those other programmes will be finished and the Doctor will be back.
1: Okay. so the superhero represents the series itself, not the character. Well, or it represents the other things that we've been watching while the series has been off.
0: Okay. But what he's done done is he's tied them together in a kind of a triangle. Right. You've got the Doctor is one aspect of the triangle. Yes. They're sort of illustration of relationships in terms of what I've said about it being a trilogy is another aspect of the triangle. Right. And then in the other corner of the triangle is where the series is and what the series has been doing. Because if you also look at it, what you had was a series of regular Doctor Who adventures in 2015. Mm. And you've got a series of regular Doctor Who adventures with a different companion in 2017. And in 2016, all you had was a special.
1: Yes. Well, think
0: about it. In 2015 you had a story about the end of a relationship. Mm. In other words, there's going to be a period where that relationship is disengaged, Yes, which is the year of No Doctor Who. And here we've got the story about the beginning of a new relationship, which is the series is going to be back on the air. And so the audience's relationship with Doctor Who is re-engaged with. And in between, you had the Doctor's won last night with River Song, Right. which was a special yeah. which took place on its own which is entirely separate which meant the Doctor's not going to be having adventures while this one last night takes place and that comes at the beginning of a year where the Doctor is not having adventures and the whole thing is Stephen Moffat
1: illustrating three different things through so what, one set of stories so I think I can see how you can make that case and I don't agree, I don't agree with it because yeah. I think it's over um
0: well, I don't think it is overcomplicated. i i
1: <clears throat> i think to see to see a metaphor for the entire series within the the superhero it's, relationship it's there in the dialogue he yeah, says it yeah i i think yeah
0: i'm not I'm not getting this out of nowhere okay. Peter Capaldi says
1: it in the dialogue what does he say in the dialogue He says but,
0: well one of the things he says is i've been he gone says, for a while I've been gone and now I'm back, yes. And he also says something slightly after that.
1: I can't remember what it is, but it's there. The I mean dialogue. that that doesn't automatically validate the idea that mm. the superhero bit is the central metaphor for the series though. So that's just steer, that's just no, Peter Puppy not acknowledging not that, that he's been gone for a year and he's been gone for twenty four years. So that's that's kind of that's kind of a callback to the previous Christmas special. And also, and also it is an acknowledgement that there hasn't been any Doctor Who this year. Yeah. That's fine. But but whether that acknowledgement extends to the, to quite an elaborate metaphor within the superhero. I think it is elaborate. I mean, my other issue is if that, if that is, if (laughs) it is Stephen Moffat's way of acknowledging, acknowledging the lack of Doctor Who and also drawing us into the new Doctor Who saying, get ready for the new Doctor Who. I'd rather he did it by increasing the role of the Doctor and Nardole in this story. So with with Nardole, and I don't normally mind this, he sort of... He brushed over the explanation of how Nardole came back into the TARDIS and Nardole just appears and they have a very brief explanation. And I normally approve of that because, you know, you can spend too much time worrying about how somebody got there. But Nardole's going to be here when the series comes back and he's quite a big actor and he was here in the previous episode. I think... That, Personally, I would have preferred to see a story with more of Nardle in it and more, <clears throat> more character. I think Stephen Moffat, and I think he acknowledged this in an interview in the magazine, had a job to do with convincing people that Matt Lucas could be, a, or Nardle, could be a weighty character because he was comic relief in The, Wedding of River, the Weddings of River Song and i don't think he did that husbands him. river husband's, sorry husbands was river song i don't think he did that in this episode which i think he needed to do no i don't because, i
0: don't think he can i think that's the issue i think by having dardo <clears throat> as a slightly minor character hmm. or someone with slightly less to do allows matt lucas to get away without having to carry too much weighty stuff and that way it worked perfectly because i I think Nardole was a great foil for the Twelfth Doctor in this episode. Yeah. And he underplayed it.
1: Mm. And
0: the comedy wasn't too broad in the writing either, yeah. which allowed him which allowed him to be really good. Yeah. But I, I think if there'd been too much more of him, I think that might have undermined him instead.
1: I, I liked it, and I liked him, and I liked <clears throat> Matt Lucas as an actor. But But I think it had a job in this episode to draw you in, as you're saying, draw you into the the series. And you're saying that it did it through um, the metaphor with with the superheroes. I thought it needed to do it slightly more directly than that. Well, yeah, but... And remind us who the Doctor is, and remind us that of who this companion is. And then when they come back in April, you have the Doctor and Nardole as an established team. And I don't think it did that.
0: Oh, Yeah, but what happens in April is that you come back and you get the introduction story for the yeah, new companion. You get to,
1: and you get a restart, but that's kind of... But, but, the, but that's always been my, my issue with the Christmas specials that just sort of flap on their own. This isn't... This mm. this had the opportunity to actually lead you into a new series. But what I'm saying With a lot of viewers watching.
0: To have two companion introductions in a row in that sense mm. would have unbalanced the weight yeah, possibly. and it would have taken the attention possibly. of the second one
1: possibly but what you've now got is, I think it's is one is companion interu- introduction and one companion that's just there well, and he'll, he'll slowly been, reveal but he'd
0: already been in an episode
1: yes but he, was, he wasn't he was a companion in that episode and they've acknowledged they've acknowledged that they had the job of mm. trying to convince the viewer that he could be the companion yeah, when he was quite relieved doing
0: that, one way of doing that
1: is not to throw
0: the attention on that, but mm. just to show him doing it. Yeah. And that's what they did. They yes. just showed him
1: doing it. And I don't think that worked for me.
0: I don't know. For everybody else, it seems to have. Every, right. I didn't, even the people who were expected to hate him, mm. even the people who don't like Stephen Moffat's stuff, almost universally, people have been saying one of the best things about this episode was Matt Lucas.
1: Yeah, I mean, but he didn't do anything. Well,
0: that's yeah. kind of the point. Yeah. He was there. He was just getting on with it, and he yes. did do a fair bit. When I mean, he gave because us, he gave quietly... they gave him a
1: speech. They gave they gave him a John Pertwee moment of charm at the end, where he he had authenticity. So he needs authenticity, which is what, which is what the character of Nardole lacked before. But what they and also did. Matt Lucas, Matt Lucas has never, well, very rarely shows on screen his authenticity because he's a comedian and he's really good. But, and he's a good actor, but it's the authenticity that they, they but have to get The one thing
0: to. that usually sticks out like a sore thumb, mm-hmm. and this happened with Rose and it happened with Martha and it happened with Amy, is that in a companion's introduction story, you'll get the scene at the end where the companion does something brilliant, completely out of the blue, yeah. to save the day. Yeah. And it always sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. It always looks really like the writer has said, we need to have this scene what you had with Nardal is about three times in that episode he saved the day, but yes. he did it so quietly that you didn't even notice.
1: Yeah, but he still had that moment at the end because that was when he gave the speech. But it was about much the less doctor dostaing. needing mm. needing something. And but that was, stuck out did stick out for me, but in a good way I thought I thought he needed more of those moments throughout. I don't know, he had to, to sort of the very first tell time he, saw me, he was, he was
0: pointing out about New York. Yes. Uh, you know, he was noticing things the doctor wasn't. Yeah. He had another scene in The TARDIS where he did something similar, I can't remember exactly what it was.
1: Yeah, so he came across a bit like a satnav rather than rather than a character. Oh yeah. Until that moment. And I like him, I like him as a character and I like him as an actor. I just don't think I don't think the balance was there in this this story to do what I wanted it to do, which was which was to drive me into the next the next series. That's, this was my issue. It still felt like it was it It was hanging there, and i d- I didn't see the 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 elaborate metaphor that, or the the metaphor that you've that you've suggested i I saw it in jokes and, and nods towards the, the absence well <laughs> the, you, i mean people do if they see if they see a metaphor in something then then it suddenly stands out it's like a cryptic crossword clue once you know the answer no, you can can't see cryptic it cryptic crosswords. But, but, but metaphors and stories. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it was intentional or not. If you've seen it, then it was there, which is great, which which is really pleasing for you. I didn't, I didn't see it, and I think, I think it's it's it makes it more complicated than it needs to be. I think, I think Stephen Moffat was going for quite a. Quite a simple, superficial it story, is, though. Which is what, yeah. which is what yeah. I, I like. But Stephen
0: Moffat can't do simple without know layers of multi-texture. No, no, no,
1: and and a lot of modern writers do do that. They introduce subtexts and they have they have broader meanings. And this is what modern television does so well. Is it is it does this? I think it was quite a simple story. It was quite a superficial story, and I think I liked it about that. But for me. The simplicity and the superficialness was drawing upon a source that I didn't like, which is why I felt uncomfortable with it. I, let's I thought about, it felt dated.
0: Let's talk about some of the other specific things. In okay. then. <clears throat> let's talk about some of the actors. The guy who mm. played Grant, um, Justin Chatwin, is that right? Possibly. Uh,
1: I can't remember. What did you think of him? I thought he was fine. I think he was okay. It was fairly unmemorable, but in in I a way he was that
0: really good in the Clark Kent bit. Yeah. And I thought he was sort of the right level of campness in the superhero bit.
1: And again, this is what this is what superheroes movies do: is mm. the actor playing the superhero is always the least int- the least interesting actor yeah, uh, in I, it because uh, because they have to they have to have two different roles. Well, yeah, and and split it, and their most interesting role is as as the civilian, as the non superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um But and he did that very well by. I mean, he was, you know...
0: I thought there was a He nice... didn't have the
1: physical presence of someone like Christian Bale or Ben Affleck. Yeah, but what I but thought was... That's... I don't know, what I seem to get from it just ever so slightly was
0: that because it was written by a British guy as opposed to being a Hollywood production, there was just, in his civilian guise, there was a little bit more... I'm not quite sure what the word is, a little bit more naturalness about it. Civilian guys, if you know what I mean? Yes. Sometimes, and I don't really know superhero movies, but, and certainly the Superman movies, Mm. in the civilianness, there's certainly, cliche is not the right word, but it draws
1: on the 1930s screwball performance, yeah. so the Howard Hawks kind oh, of... Oh, yeah,
0: that, that was all here, but it, it felt less contrived.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. The I think, characterization. I think, I, think, I think the original Superman movies were, super, the, were the comic yeah. strip superhero-ness grafted on to a 1930s screwball comedy. Well, yeah. And that's why yeah, they're quite popular, that. and I can see that. And that's why that's the you bit I that quite like. You in the whole nanny yeah. thing,
0: where he had to keep coming yeah, and going yeah. from the baby. Yeah. But I thought the way they played it, yeah, yeah. it was a huge was contrivance, but I thought yes. the way they played it yeah. worked nicely to sort of uh, distract your attention from how yes. contrived it was.
1: Yeah. And the rest of the performances were, were, were fine, I sort of un, unmemorable, but... I didn't I have a problem with the, I didn't have a problem with the German accent, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which. Uh, but then I'm not German, but then a lot of people criticising the German accent don't seem to be German either. So, um,
0: one of the, um, the one of the things I often used to get in Ross T. Davis's episodes was that there, there would always be one actor mm. who really wasn't pulling their weight, right. And that's something that I don't often get in Stephen Moffat's. And again, I d- didn't get that here. I don't know what it is about the production. Maybe it was just something about the way they were making
1: it. I think I think that's that's possibly true. But there also, for me, no actor really stood out in this story, in the same way that someone like John Sim stood out to me in yeah, his performance. So with Russell T Davies, I think you got heightened performances. Which, given the right actor, Derek Jacobi, it can a- be. exceptional, and here you have more consistency, maybe, but they're very muted, I think. Well, I think the reason for that
0: is that, and sometimes the story doesn't really seem to suggest that that's what's happening, Mm. but I think the reason for that is that Stephen Moffat creates Doctor Who... Uh, Russell T. Davis created Doctor Who as a way of having larger-than-life characters... Yeah. and making the Doctor into a larger-than-life character. Yeah, Steve Moffat seems to make Doctor Who as a means to put the spotlight on the Doctor yeah. without needing to make him larger-than-life.
1: I think there's also a difference in the way that Moffat and Russell T Davies write. So Russell T Davies writes... <clears throat> From a very much a soap opera basis, from a from a kind of so his dialogue can be spoken by lots of people in lots of different ways. So you can have heightened performances speaking Russell T. Davis dialogue. Stephen Moffat's dialogue is much more distinctive, and it's you can tell when you're watching a Stephen Moffat series. It's like Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. You have to be a particular actor to be able to cope with Aaron Sorkin dialogue, and that forms the performance. That molds the performance. So in an Aaron Sorkin production you don't have particular types of performance because the dialogue just won't allow for it whereas Stephen Moffat you do do because or you can and then similarly with Stephen Moffat you can't have this either and JR has just exited the microphone to blow his nose yeah uh, I, really could, I, I couldn't hide it <clears throat> because but I'm running out of things to say but it's very true but, but, but so so it's so I think the writing dictates the performances and with Stephen Moffat you don't get these heightened performances which which is a good thing because the performance is more consistent. It's not always a good thing because you sometimes lose the height and that you don't get the sutex. You don't get some of the things that made traditional Doctor Who campy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well Stephen Moffat definitely writes and this is perhaps something we should talk about for a minute. Stephen Moffat definitely writes a kind of Doctor Who that's not traditional in terms of its tone. No. And when he first started or just before he started people were going to people were saying then oh he's going to write a dark fairy tale and everybody was looking forward to the dark fairy tale he was going to write and he did Mm. and now people have had enough of it and have had for a couple of years some people have had enough of it I haven't personally I could take another five years of it but that's by the by But it's not like he didn't do what everybody was expecting him to do. Yeah. And given his background in things like coupling and joking apart, another thing I was expecting him to do was to tell stories about, for example, a married couple in space. Mm. Because that's just what he does. Yeah. So, but the fact that it's been a fairy tale, I think the aspect of that, that people perhaps weren't expecting so much, although I think they should have given his... Episodes for Russell T. Davis was The Whimsy. Hmm. And I think Russell T. Davis was writing a Doctor Who that was for all the various different ages, but I think was primarily targeted at adolescents. Right. Whereas I think Stephen Moffat, again, is writing it for all ages, but I think primarily he's gone back to targeting like the 8 to 12 year olds perhaps even the 6 to 10 year olds Yeah, I think what Stephen Moffat's doing is writing a Doctor Who that's friendly to 4 year olds mm. whereas I don't necessarily think 4 year olds and Russell T Davis as Doctor Who were necessarily right for one another right. but this whimsy which is what I think people don't necessarily like which personally I love actually mm. but I think that's the not very Doctor Who thing because right. I don't think Doctor Who I mean he I don't know whether you're going to agree with me or argue the case against but I don't think before 2010 Doctor Who did whimsy in quite as ostentatious a fashion
1: I'm not sure what you mean by whimsy <clears throat> so that's possibly that's possibly so th-
0: well i tell you what I'll tell you a word that I struggled not to use about half a dozen times when I was writing the review it was sweet okay how many episodes of Doctor Who can okay. you use the word sweet about and yet yeah, as I was struggling not to use the word sweet over and over and over again, or the word lovely, yes, and I was thinking, actually, you go back over the last six years with Stephen Moffat, yeah. and there have been any number of moments that you could call sweet or lovely, mm. but how many had there been in the sort of 47 years before that? Yes,
1: you'd probably look for Douglas Adams for, A bit for of whimsiness. Though, so, I mean, that's why, I mean, City of Death is the obvious... The obvious, I mean, it is packed with that kind of... Well, I've often said it. Stephen
0: Moffat is City of Death every week.
1: Yeah. And also, I mean, Pertwee, bits of Pertwee. But I don't think
0: they... Yeah, in in the past there have been bits and pieces. Yes. But I don't think ever that they've added up to becoming one of the main factors. Yes. And also, I think the tone of them is completely different to the way Stephen Moffat does it. Yeah. I think Stephen Moffat can tell a story about a couple getting together, that you would, in any other context, Mm. that you would think of as, not necessarily a 15 or a 12 certificate film, but basically as a film aimed at adolescence or over. Mm. But Stephen Moffat can tell that exact same story in a way that makes it hugely relevant to six-year-olds. Yeah. Which seems to me like an astonishing feat Mm. to be able to address a really grown-up story so that it doesn't baffle the minds of people for whom double figures is something that's still half their lifetime away.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, do, I don't know how much that... <clears throat> I don't know how much appealing to different age ranges is a factor because for if you look at the history of Doctor Who, you know that four-year-olds pick up something from stories in a different way to eight-year-olds in a different way to 12-year-olds. So there's always... And a four-year-old can watch something like Kinder, might not. Well, might you'd, not you'd assume pick up yeah. the 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 kind of Buddhist Buddhist uh, metaphors behind it, but they'd still be frightened by the snake. They'd still be sort of disconcerted by the dream sequence. I'm worried about yeah. It, probably. And I think I think this is a common thing with this is what Doctor Who's always been very good at. And I think Russell T Davis might have might have aimed his stories towards adolescents, well, but they've always happened,
0: had. But I think what happened is the fact that the programme had a 15-year break Mm. meant that when it came back, the sort of weight of expectation of those things was on their shoulders. It's like, if the series had just continued and continued and continued for all those 50 years, then nobody would have ever had a chance to really properly stop and think about what the programme was about. But I think the 15-year break meant that when it came back, everybody making it has to sit down and think to themselves... Well, what are we
1: making? Well, weirdly, you can you can see what happened in the fifteen-year-old year break because it was almost as if the the program paused and the the viewership, the old viewership, slowly aged, and the stuff that was produced was produced towards its ageing. Age so you yeah. end up with the new adventures, which are definitely for fourteen-year-olds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the TV movie. <laughs> is kind of the same. So the TV movie draws on things like the, X-fi- the X-Files. Well, the TV
0: movie is really for an adult audience who've yeah. never seen Doctor Who. Yeah,
1: exactly. So <clears throat> so that's the ultimate. And then with the reboot, I think they do try to... I think Russell T Davis is intelligent enough and smart enough to try to recognise that fans have aged, but it needs to appeal towards everybody now from probably from eight onwards. I don't know. I think four is too young because Gas Mark's... <laughs> children with skill. Still oh, I don't know. Terrified. It,
0: this has always been the thing. I was four when I first watched Doctor Who. Yeah. I think people with four year olds sit down
1: in front of it now. I'm, I mean it I was I was three. Yeah. Um but but I think I mean I've had very little interaction oh,
0: well. with I was four when I first remembered Doctor I think Who si- but I've obviously been watched.
1: I've known a six year old recently who isn't allowed to watch Doctor Who. he saw Doctor Who once and wouldn't go back. I think it varies it from probably, probably, child yeah. to child and family yeah. to family. I'm thinking from um uh, heaven sent would be absolutely terrifying for for a child, for a four-year-old.
0: Oh, possibly. And sometimes families would say, well, you can't watch that episode until yeah. so you're a bit older. Yeah, yeah, We'll yeah. see what it's like next. Week. Yeah. But what I mean is, <laughs> you can't put anything in there that uh, a four-year-old couldn't watch.
1: No. And I think the Christmas, this particular episode, this particular story, it's on at Christmas, it's on slightly earlier than last season. So it's definitely well, it's definitely more Christmas of a universal well. story, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah. Because they want to put it on before Strictly. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. whereas when the series was on, yeah, they were putting it on after Strictly. Yeah, at Christmas they put it on before Strictly.
1: And I think we've talked about this before, which is I think Heaven Sent, Hell Bent, was probably the most adult Doctor Who. It reached a point where it had, it had become adult, and they were going to try and we predicted. I think we were reviewing last me, last Christmas. No, I think we were I didn't did, agree with this. Did we, not? we were reviewing last Christmas episode and we were talking about what might happen in the 2017 series, and it would be bring it, bring it, bring it down oh, yeah, in age. Yeah, that was my here. point because I oh, don't right. think
0: I completely agree with that. Really? I don't. I don't think Stephen Moffat did that deliberately.
1: He's going to try and. I think he's going to try and lighten everything up. Uh, oh no! Yes, yeah. I completely think that. Yeah.
0: That was my prediction, but I didn't think it was for that reason.
1: Well. I think it will have the effect of being for that reason. Yeah, yeah. It probably will look like it. I'll tell
0: you what I think he's done is I think over the course of his five years, he has, and I don't think it's necessarily very obvious, but I think what he's done is over the course of that five years, perhaps this is because of his sons growing up, you know, with the programme over the course of those five years. I think over the course of those five or six years, the programme has grown in age by five or six years. Yes. Which doesn't mean to say it's necessarily ostracized the younger ones, but just the focus has slightly moved up a year each year.
1: I mean but this is what this is what so th- the other factor is mm-hmm. Stephen Moffat's been doing this for a while and he doesn't want to repeat himself. And when you're doing something for a while, you can either you can either make it more elaborate, like the James Bond what the James Bond films do is they become elaborate, more elaborate, and then they snap back Yes. With Stephen Moffat, what he's done is, each each time he's come back to it, he's thought, I'll make it a bit darker than before, a bit darker than before, oh, he's and done reaches Harry the Potter. limit, and then, yeah, yeah. He's done, his yeah.
0: first year was at yeah. age 11, and then at age 12 and, I do, and then at 13. I don't
1: think he necessarily needs an, a creative reason for doing this, he's, well... He's, He's got a creative reason, which is he wants to be different from before, and this is one way of being different from before. But there's yeah, also, I think it's just there's, also a a there's also a strong commercial. There's <laughs> also a strong commercial reason for it. But you can't
0: go too far with that. No, because <laughs> you, you lose back the back young. audience. Yes,
1: you lose <clears> the <throat> y- very young audience, and I think, I think that's been recognised, or that was recognised with Heaven Sent, Hell Bent, and particularly when the last series was shown so late in the evening. Sure it's only which the same which, time
0: as the series before. Right, they both went out after strictly, so
1: they both okay. went out at the okay. same time. Okay, well, th- I mean, this has been happening for yeah, yeah. For, for two years. Yeah, <laughs> so so now they've moved back to April. Maybe they'll bring the series put the series on slightly earlier and start we'll to, bu- start start to and build, start to try and build, start to try and build up this younger audience in order to transition them into Chris, Chris Chibnall, Chibnall and sort of so- soften because that's one way of the series. This is always a crisis point in the series is when they change the show run. And we know that when when Russell T. Davis left, the show nearly stopped. Was, nearly stopped. So this is a definite this is a definite risky crisis point. And so they're trying to, they'll presumably try to as many things as possible to smooth that transition around. I think the
0: big thing is taking it back into the spring. Yeah. Because although we as old school Doctor Who fans don't think of its home as being in the spring, mm. since the series returned, that's definitely when it's worked best. Yeah. Oddly. You wouldn't have thought it worked, but Well they've
1: tried different things. I mean yeah. they're always gonna have <clears throat> they're always gonna have a drop off in viewers in the latter half of the series and then a resurgence at the end. That's that seems to be the just the model that, they they have that have to both accept. times.
0: Let's talk about something else then from the okay. episode. The aliens, the yes. brains with the eyes. Yeah. What well, yeah. the moment the eyes opened on that they said look at this brain, something's going to happen. Yes. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen? And then these two tiny little eyes opened. Yes. And I just loved it. it yeah. It was just, yeah. it was one of those, it was one of those um, moments that's spooky because of his oddness, because mm-hmm. it didn't look remotely right. Yes. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It was I mean, from- it's
1: like the the hand mines in yes. in the Dalek story. He, they're doing quite well at, at bringing in this kind of Pans Labyrinth style kind of um, wrongness. I think yeah, yeah, there yeah, is yeah. there is that kind of it's not gory and it's not explicit. It's just wrong, and I think that's the right level of horror well, that Doctor Who Nye Doctor Nye Who needs. Pulls open his head, then that's ickiness. That's rather yeah. because they managed to get away with it by having the sort of blue and outfit. Also, it's of course it was done last attitude, last yeah. year. But um, so, so on both
0: occasions, it's one of those things where there's a very fine line yeah, between yeah, whether it's yeah, acceptable or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but it's like
1: I, the waters of Mars crosses that fine line and becomes terrifying. Whereas this, this is just about the guy pulling
0: his head open, yeah. is actually, if you're a kid, yeah. because you're not seeing brain and blood spearing out and no. all this kind of stuff, because yeah. it's not presented as something that is um, sort of in a, a personal sense, no. Something horrifying. But something that's it's more like something out of roll dahl.
1: Yes. It's more roll dahl than David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. But if it was on television, this is partly because we have become more more immune to to realistic robots and to the idea if this had been done in the nineteen seventies there would have been like complaints dropped. It oh, yeah. would have been Cronenberg. It is effectively what Cronenberg does, except he does it with slightly redder instead of blue, he would have done it in red. Oh, done, yeah. The the logic yeah, I did I did wonder why they didn't and I've heard this before and I said it whilst it was on, why they didn't just keep the gun in the pocket. Why why keep the gun inside your head? Yes,
0: well it was going to but it's gonna take a moment it's so. nice
1: effect. So I I passed it.
0: Well that's yeah, I this also, is what Stephen Moffat sometimes does: is he'll throw in things. Well, I mean, to be fair, everybody who's ever worked on the program mm-hmm. has done this from the start. They'll throw in things that don't make any sense, yes, just
1: because they make it for a great yeah, visual, which is fair enough. And that's part of what I television's liked, about. There's I also liked television. I also liked the split st- split screen effect and the the, sort oh, yes. the aping of the comic book effect. But I thought it needed to be done more I thought it needed to be done throughout the story so to do it in this sort of central bit it was cute and it was a nice nod towards combat yeah. but I don't
0: think it was meant to be anything more than that it yeah like, but uh, I would
1: have preferred it if if they'd gone if they'd they'd gone for it but it? doing
0: it more may have been alienating
1: I don't know I mean they did similar mm. things with so I'm thinking of um I can't remember the name of the guy who directed the first Sherlock episode so there are two first Sherlock episodes. There's the pilot episode and then there's the episode that was broadcast. And you can see that the episode that was broadcast, they really went for it. With it. it felt like there was a director's voice behind it. It felt like the director had... And that didn't feel contrived. That felt like they were setting up, setting up quite a consistent style for it. And they could have done that just within this story.
0: There's a difference, though. And that is that it, <clears throat> in a programme like Sherlock, and in a film, because the big example of the the first time that was really done on cinema to a massive degree was in Angley's version of Hulk. Right. In a programme like Sherlock, you're only going to attract people who like that kind of thing. Yeah. Because if you throw that in from the first episode, you're basically saying to people, this is what the programme is. If mm. you like this, you'll like this programme. We're going to continue doing this. Yeah this is what you're getting. And with a film like Hulk, or with a film like Kick-Ass, you know what you're getting. This is what you're paying to watch, basically. With a programme like Doctor Who, you're not. So if you make the whole episode like that, you're saying to a lot of the casual viewers, well, if that's not your kind of thing then I'm sorry, but this episode ain't for you. Whereas if you just throw a bit in the middle, yeah. the people who don't like that kind of thing can look at that bit in the middle and say, oh yeah, I know what they're doing there. They're doing that thing I don't especially like.
1: Except with Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who, the he's allowed much more free reign with the, the house style and with the director's choices. Well, he has
0: to a degree, but never on things that's, that are so specifically visually different. yeah. There are things in the day of the doctor you keep getting towards the start of the episode. Yes. The, the stuff that was in the um, God complex as well. Yeah. You keep getting those An obvious, cutaway flash forwards. And
1: obviously, Mark Gaters' last story, the name of which escapes me, uh, the, the dust in the eye one. Yeah. yeah that's a very obvious, that's a very obvious, yeah, yeah, yeah. A very obvious difference. Well, you, you know, just, use yeah. of things. But, uh, but. That, that was something I, I actually liked about that story because it's trying something, it's trying something different. But it different. wasn't successful. It wasn't successful, but I think it was the story that wasn't successful rather than the directing style. I think the directing style can... The found footage, surveillance footage, directing style Well, I think the thing work. about found
0: footage is it's so ubiquitous these days that people just say, OK, this is going to be a found footage episode. Yes. But I think in terms of a general audience, it doesn't really work either.
1: I think it works if it's written. If it's written distinctively, Well I, I think if they write one, it, right if the they write it correctly.
0: AI for that episode dipped by about five points. Yeah, and the audience for that one dipped as well.
1: Yes. So, but I don't think it was the change in style. I suspect it was no, the change I in style. I think was. it was the story that didn't, um, that was so too no, confusing there had been for the story. Bad
0: stories before. Fear Her didn't get a dip in its AI. No, the only time when there's been a dip in the AI like that before was when the style changed. Yeah. And it was Love and Monsters. Yeah. The, the thing of it is, if there's a change in style, people, people
1: will get turned off by it, and regardless of whether it's done successfully I'm or not. And I'm kind of comfortable by that. I think, I think, I but, think you can, you can, so. With But yes. those
0: were episodes that were in the middle of a series yes. when you knew it back to the normal style next week. Yes. This was a Christmas Day episode. Yeah, I'm um, not saying it wouldn't have been nice. I'm yeah. just saying there's yeah, a yeah. reason they yeah. didn't do it.
1: Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so that, that was interesting and quite well done. It was a nice moment. Yes. But uh, yeah.
0: it was one of those things where you thought, OK, they can have a scene doing that. But if they'd have done mm-hmm. it all the way through, yes. it would have ended up like Hulk. Yeah. And that felt bombed,
1: didn't it? Hulk bomb, yeah. yeah. But it took itself too seriously, I think. <laughs> I and mean, they chose the wrong director for it because Ang Lee's too good a director for a superhero no. for a superhero movie to be Which is right. wrong, it's too serious a director. Or too though. too too serious, too good to to take up somebody else's idea for a superhero movie. I mean we we have an argument about this, but Christopher Nolan Took control of his. He had a vision for his Batman films. He had a trilogy. He knew what he was doing from the ground up. He had an almost sort of autierish His brother wrote them. He directed them. This this is a guy that took control from the very beginning, which is why his Batman films aren't just good superhero movies. They're they you know some of the strongest films of the last. I'm decade. not even listening. I'm
0: just gonna say I'm <laughs> proud of you that it's taken 59 minutes to mention Christopher Nolan. But I do,
1: but but. Regardless of what you think, I don't think I don't think this this episode of Doctor Who should have drawn from Christopher. My problem isn't that it drew for it didn't draw from Christopher Nolan, or that it drew from Richard Donner, Richard Donner, or that it didn't draw from Joss Whedon. My problem is, I think It shouldn't have drawn from. The I don't well. think it should have drawn from the well of superhero movies because I think there's an inherent danger with British television um, pastiching. Something that's really big in America because it's going to be out of date like that. And this was this tried to solve it by being nostalgic by drawing on seventies superhero movies. But for me, I don't have that nostalgia. So well, the thing of it is,
0: if you go back to the mid nineteen seventies in America, horror films are really big news again yeah. in the wake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, hmm. things like that. The Exorcist. And there is a huge upsurge in horror films in America, and yeah. they are massive. Yeah, and Doctor Who draws very ostentatiously on uh, horror films for his inspiration in the mid nineteen seventies. Yes, but it goes back to the horror films of the late fifties and early sixties,
1: or the thirties. In fact, it goes oh, to the, his, univer- the Universal. was movies. the hammers? Really, is drawing then, on things like She. Uh, uh, I think it's more drawing on things like The Mummy. On, hmm. on the invisible man, on. Well, Hammer those Wolf as man? well. Yes, but. Yeah, yeah. But. Uh, the, I mean, the, but yes, it, uh, it's, it's drawing on something yes. that's
0: currently successful, yeah. but it's drawing on the roots of, or the previous wave of those things. Yes, yeah. What? But what's happening here, I and mean, this is what makes this such a boat of contention, mm. is that. It's obvious that Doctor Who draws on horror. He's yeah. been doing that pretty much from the start. Yes. And Doctor Who has this association with horror. But yep. it's never had an association with superheroes. Because superheroes can't really exist in the Doctor Who universe. I,
1: I think the, the the distinction is in the seventies when Doctor Who was drawing on horror, it was drawing on something that was starting to be shown on television there. No no whereas, no, no I mean whereas this. now <clears throat> it's it's drawing on films that we remember from from the seventies and you know, spectacular movies from the 70s. But what's on television is so different no. now. I, I don't
0: know, but what I mean is, the the issue here is that he's telling a superhero story in the Doctor Who universe. Yes. And those two things don't seem to go together. Yeah. <coughs> Whereas something like Frankenstein, Yeah. or The Thing from Another World, yeah. or whatever, is very easy to do as a Doctor I'll, Who.
1: I'll be honest. I think he's, he's um, drawing on a superhero movie and he's putting a superhero movie into a British television series. And I think those two things don't necessarily fit together. And yes. That's, whereas horror and British television work perfectly well because actually, American horror, setting aside, setting aside the new wave horror of the 1970s, classic American horror is often very anglophile. But, but what I'm the,
0: talking about yeah. is putting a man who can fly. Yeah, superpowers in Doctor Who. Yeah. Which, despite the sort of dark fairy tale thing that Stephen Moffat's been doing, Mm. and despite the last ten minutes of The Last of the Time Lords, Mm. you know, people who can fly around and what have you
1: aren't
0: a natural fit for Doctor Who. And so that's why this has become a talking point. Yes. That's why this is a talking point, I should say. But actually... I thought, and probably because of those first five minutes, I thought it worked really nicely. Mm-hmm. And actually, I thought it was one of those things where, well, you'd never be able to do it again.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: <clears throat> I mean, potentially, I suppose the door's open there for Justin, whatever he's called, to come back and do a cameo in episode 12 of the next series. Potentially, or Potentially,
1: um, it's somewhere in my heart, I, I don't think his performance was distinctive enough to warrant a, a return. I don't know I don't think you'll his... go down history as a memorable... I think it's a memorable idea rather than a memorable Oh, yes, but what character. I mean is you
0: had um, the pirate from... Um,
1: the Hugh Bonneville one. Yeah. Yeah. Came yeah. back
0: and had his cameo at the yes, end. Yes, yeah. And what I mean is the door's open for something like that, but yes. I don't think you do another superhero story in Doctor Who. This is going yeah. to be one of those one-off episodes yes. that yeah. can't be repeated. Yeah. But I think as a one-off episode, it works really nicely. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like Voyage of the Damned. You couldn't really do that again now that you've done it.
1: Yes. yes. I, I mean, the
0: nearest thing you get is, I suppose, something like Midnight or Planet yes. of the Dead, but yes. you're never going to get an actual Voyage of the Damned again because no. it's just, it's so distinct. Yes. And it's yeah. so definitively a genre of its own mm-hmm. that yes. you can only brush with it really the once. Yes. Yeah. But it does show how much range is possible to get out of Doctor Who mm-hmm. that you can do something like this and even though it is a talking point yes, that's all it is, a talking point yeah. I don't think anybody's actually saying no that was completely the wrong thing to do No,
1: and I, don't, I haven't said that either Um, even though it's, it's not been my favourite episode I think it does fall into the brackets of Doctor Who can do anything and it should try to do as many different things as possible and sometimes they don't hit with me, sometimes they draw on things that I didn't like in the first place. I'm not a massive fan of Voyage of the Damned, because it's drawing on things that I don't find particularly appealing or Christmassy. But I I recognise why they did it, and I appreciate that it's there somewhere in the canon of Doctor Who.
0: Should we give it a score then? Okay. Well, you know what I gave it in my review. I gave it a nine. Right. And I stand by that. I thought okay. it was ex- I thought it was pretty much exceptional. Right. I mean, and again, but like you. Yes. as a one off. Yes, yes. But I, you?
1: I think I'd give it 6.
0: Oh, that's low.
1: Um, well compared with I mean we're, we're getting quite a lot of Doctor Who to compare it with, with now. But compared with Day of the Doctor and something like I mean Blink would be would no. Blink would be a 9, Day of the Doctor would be a 9, possibly a 10 the Doctor would be a 10. Stop well, yourself on OK, the so it would be a 10. Blink would be a 9. And th- there'd be other stories. Mm. Heaven Sent Hell Bent would be 8 straight 9. So I think... I think... I think 6 is reasonable. 60%... Oh, you is, <laughs> is a is a healthy score. It's a pass mark.
0: Fair enough. Right, because I'm not feeling too great. I'm not going to carry on and do lots of film reviews and stuff. OK. I've seen about a dozen films since the last time I did one. Wow. Oh. Oh. But instead, we'll come back and we'll talk about more stuff on the next episode. Okay. But for now, we'll just call it night, okay? Yes. All right, then. Until next week, then, where we may be doing. No, I'm not even going to bother trying to do, what we'll do <laughs> next week. Until then.
1: I was Matt. And I
0: was JR. And we'll speak again soon.